I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. Today's thought from above is this. You can have an ABBA experience. If you missed the pod episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. Many of you know I'm a college professor. I like to ask questions. Questions are fascinating to me, and they open up all kinds of new ideas, new understandings. They help us elicit what's really happening. So here's a big question. What is the one thing you think God most wants for you? What's the one thing you think, yeah, this is what God really desires the most for me? It's a great question, and I have actually asked my students this question, and there are many common answers. Probably the most common answer I've gotten is students, when they're being honest, will say, I just, I think he wants me to stop sinning so much. I think God wants me to kind of get my act together. Or maybe an answer would be to start doing more holy stuff, more church stuff, more religious stuff. Maybe that's what God really wants. Or I've heard this one, I think God wants me to love him more. The great commandment, the first part. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or be more faithful, maybe more trusting. I've heard some say, I think God wants me to trust him more. Those are that's good. Or maybe God wants me to love my neighbor better. Well, that's good too. Really, all of them are pretty good answers. There's there's not a wrong answer on that list. They're fine, but I think there's something higher still. I think there's something God desires even more for you and for me. In the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, we have what is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus praying for us. Not every scholar agrees that it's a prayer in the traditional sense, but it is a kind of prayer. And we know that because in John 17, 1, it says, after Jesus had spoken these words, He looked up to heaven and said, Father. And then what follows is a kind of request. He's asking something of the Father. So what Jesus is praying for us, what he wants to have for us, I believe is the answer to the question, what does God most want for you? Because what we pray for is indicative of what we really long for for someone. So if this is Jesus who is the second member of the Trinity, and he's praying for us, what he's praying for would be the key to this. So what is it that Jesus wants most for you and for me? Well, let's continue on. So Jesus looks up and says, Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all people. So he's establishing who he is as the Son. He's glorified the Father, and the Father's glorified the Son. And then he says, And give to them, the people, all of my people, and give to them 
eternal life. Eternal life to all you've given to me. So there it is. What does Jesus want most for you and for me? Eternal life. To experience eternal life. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, you know, I work a lot in true and false narratives, and I think a very common false narrative is that when we think about eternal life, we think it's about what happens after you die. So you see those billboards. If you died tonight, would it be heaven? Would it be hell? As if eternal life is something you'll experience later. And of course, those kinds of billboards and these things that we run across that try to get us to make these decisions, they mean well, I suppose, but they're based on this idea that if I can just scare you into making a decision for Jesus, well, I think there's a lot wrong with that. I don't think Jesus ever tried to scare people into a decision for him. But that's, I think, a false way of looking at it because eternal life isn't something that happens after we die. It's something we experience now. And we know that because John 17, 3, the very next verse, explains what it is. And John 17, 3, this is such an important verse. I say to my students, this is one you probably need to memorize because it's, it's that, that crucial. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Here it is again. And this is eternal life. Here it is. Eternal life is what? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So Jesus defines eternal life as a form of knowledge. But knowledge in the Bible, knowing in the Bible, doesn't mean knowledge about something. We may know some facts about things. We say, well, I know some things about algebra or chemistry. I know some things about history. No, no, that's not the same thing. Knowing in the Bible means interaction with. It's an interaction with someone. So we know someone. That's what it says. Eternal life is they may know you, know you, God. Not things about you, but know you. Know you as we would a dear friend. This is God's deepest desire. It is the result of God's love for us. So what's probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible? John 3.16. It's when you see it. Football games, people holding up signs. John 3.16. It's that important, and it is important. And it reads this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. There it is again. That phrase, eternal life, is going to occur about a dozen times in John's gospel. It's that central to Jesus. God so loved. See, God loves us, and love wants what is best for someone. So God so loved us that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him, put your confidence, your trust in him, wouldn't perish. Their life wouldn't fall apart. But they may have eternal life, which is what? We've already said it. Knowledge of God, interactive relationship with God. John Mark Comer, in his wonderful book, Live No Lies, says this, Many people think that eternal life refers to a quantity of life after death. But for the New Testament writers, it also meant a quality of life that starts now for the apprentice of Jesus. Grows in scope over a lifetime of apprenticeship and then continues into eternity. Oh, that's a good quote. John Mark has got it going on. He even mentions being an apprentice of Jesus. I love it. Such an important quote. 
We often think, as he's saying, that eternal life is a quantity of life after death. But no, no, it is more than that. It is that. There's a life after we die. It continues on. Eternal life doesn't end. But it is a quality of life that starts now. Wow. Well, now I got a quote from Trevor Hudson, who's been on this podcast, as has John Mark. And they're also going to be speakers at the Apprentice Gathering this September. Two wonderful guys, but they're really speaking about the same thing. And Trevor, in his new book, uh, Seeking God, which we talked about on the podcast, Trevor says this, Eternal life is Zoe life. And Zoe life is an intimate friendship with that boundless mystery we call God. Now, I like that. So, John Mark's saying it's a quality of life now, and Trevor's saying it's, what, an intimate friendship with this boundless mystery we call God. Isn't that amazing? It's so beautiful. And Trevor, in this book, Seeking God, goes on to say that this is having the same experience that Jesus had, which he calls the Abba experience. This is what Trevor writes. Jesus repeatedly spoke to God in Aramaic as Abba, which means my own dear father. It was a form of address that combined closeness and wonder, affection and respect, trust and obedience. Scholars today often refer to this intimacy that Jesus had with God as his Abba experience, a beautiful inviting phrase that captures the profound closeness of his relationship with God. The Abba experience. So beautiful. Jesus, as Trevor's saying, he referred to God as Abba. It was an Aramaic word. It wasn't in Hebrew. It was Aramaic was the common language, the street language of the day for Jesus. His disciples would hear him pray that. He would say, Abba. And it's not just, hey, dad in the sky. Abba is a form of address that he, as Trevor points out, combines closeness and wonder, affection and respect, trust and obedience. There's this this sense of of reverence for God and yet intimacy with God that the word Abba contains. Jesus had that Abba experience. And what Trevor's saying is that Abba experience is also for you and for me. That's what God wants. Again, back to Trevor in Seeking God. He writes this, Imagine enjoying this Abba experience with God every day. We wake up in the morning knowing deep in our heart that we are the apple of God's eye. We're aware that God knows us by name, loves us as we are, and is closer than we can ever imagine. Throughout the day, we're conscious of being enfolded in a divine mystery, actively and lovingly present in all things. Oh, that is a gem right there. This Ab experience. So, can you imagine that now? Just close your eyes wherever you are, unless you're driving. Don't close your eyes. Close your eyes and just imagine, okay, I'm I'm waking up in the morning, and the first thing I do is I turn to, and I say, Abba, good morning. I am the apple of your eye, and I love it. Thank you. And you know me by name. You know me better than I know myself. You love me as I am, even though I'm flawed and broken. And you're closer to me than I could ever imagine. And then throughout the day, everything that we go to, different meetings and things we have to do, work we have to do, knowing we're conscious, right, that God is with us, enfolded in a divine mystery. Such a beautiful image. Now, where does this come from? 
in, in Trevor's ex- experience, he tells the story in the book that in many ways this whole book was sparked by a, a, a season that he had in his life with Dallas. When Dallas Willard went to South Africa, Trevor had invited him to come down and do ministry, and he lived with Trevor and his wife, uh, Debbie, for a couple of weeks. And he writes about this. I just have to share this because it's one of my favorite parts of the book about an experience he had with Dallas when he was there. So listen to this. Trevor writes, Late one night, after Debbie and I had gone to bed, I heard someone speaking in our living room around midnight. I was jolted awake, thinking that we were being robbed. When I went to investigate, there was Dallas on his knees in conversation with God. I was not used to intelligent professors participating in this kind of childlike friendship with God. For Dallas, however, this seemed to be a perfectly natural thing to do. It also whetted my own appetite to live with God in a more intimate, personal, and real way. Would you not want to know God in this way, too? I just love this scene. I mean, I've thought about it so many times. Here's Trevor being awakened in the middle of the night going, Oh, wow, are we being robbed? There's someone, there's voices in the living room. And then go out, and there's Dallas on his knees praying to Abba Father in this intimate conversation with God. That's what it is. That's Zoe life. That's eternal life. That's what God has designed us to do. So if that's what God wants, then how do we receive that? How do we live into that? Well, Paul would say we sow to the Spirit. Here's what it says in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you'll reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. What's Paul mean here in Galatians 6, 7, and 8? What he means is he's using an agrarian, like a farming metaphor here. When you put the seed in the ground, when you sow, you know, something will come up. That's the nature of it. And if you sow, put seeds, if you're sowing to the flesh, which is what my own my own desires, my own pleasures. If, if that's what I want to build my life around and I'm sowing to that, I'll reap something from it. It'll be corruption. Life is it's not supposed to be. That's going to happen. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. There it is again, Zoe life. You'll reap this kind of life from the Spirit. So our job then, if you want to call it a job, is to sow to the Spirit. And what that means is, We need to learn how to arrange our days to have space to be with God. And second, we need to be mindful of our minds. What's going on in our minds? I just love this quote from Dallas Willard. You must arrange your days so that you can experience deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. It's just so simple and clear. Our job, our responsibility to live into this eternal life, is to arrange our days, which means we're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to learn how to say no to even good things, to create margin, so that we can have space. Because you can't do this frantically and hurriedly. We need to arrange for time to be with God. I talk about my wife, Megan, from time to time on this podcast. She's beautiful and wonderful in so many ways. Never is is my wife more beautiful to me then when I see her get up early in the morning, she'll, she'll get up. She has, she's a teacher. She has to get up pretty early. So if she's going to have any extra time, she's got to get up even earlier 
she'll get up early, she'll get ready, and then she'll have this time where she'll get a cup of coffee and just sit by the fire and be with Abba, just be with God, and cast her cares on God and tell God what she's feeling, similar to what Dallas was doing when Trevor came into that living room. I also have come into our living room and seen my wife doing that. It's a beautiful thing. She's sowing to the Spirit. She's living into eternal life. She's setting her mind on things above. And that's what God designed us for. That's what God wants. Let me close with a story about Rich Mullins, who I've talked about on this podcast a fair amount. Rich says this. I, I have this quoted in the book I wrote, his biography called Arrow Pointing to Heaven, Rich Mullins and Arrow Pointing to Heaven. But Rich tells this story about when he was in Thailand, and it goes like this. He said, when I was in Thailand, I met this missionary, and I was talking to her, and I said, you know, I just want the Lord to use me. And she said, well, forget it. <laughs> and Rich was stunned. And then she went on to say, God doesn't need you for anything. God doesn't want to use you. He wants you to love him. Love that story. It was profound for Rich because we often think, oh, I just I want God to use me. What do I need to do for God? And I love that. Just forget that. Just forget it. God doesn't need you for anything. He can use you for things, but that isn't what he, he most wants. What does God most want? God wants you to love him. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hey folks, I want to let you know about a recent development here at Friends University where I teach. We have an undergraduate degree program in Christian spiritual formation, a Bachelor of Arts degree, that's both a first and a second major. Now, I teach in this program, as well as some other amazing professors, and I am pleased to announce that Friends University is offering an amazing scholarship of up to $18,000 per year to students interested in studying Christian formation as a part of their college experience. In addition to this amazing scholarship, there'll be hands-on learning with ministry leaders, working with me and others, and great opportunities for internships. Again, this is for both a first major, those who plan on going into ministry, as well as those seeking it as a second major, meaning those who are going to become accountants or therapists or graphic designers or teachers or engineers, any number of other vocations, but they also want to grow in their spiritual lives while in college and get a pretty big scholarship to help pay for college. So if you know someone who would benefit from a degree like this, check out our website, apprenticeinstitute.org, and click on the Friends University tab. Again, apprenticeinstitute.org, and click on the Friends University tab. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. <laughs>